Jay Schultz here. It is the On a Roll show for January 11th. What did we got here? 12th. I don't even I don't even know the date. I don't even know the date at this time. But I got a big show for you today. We are going to have our first cinema talk of the year. And after that, at 2 o'clock, I'll have my good friend Steve Thompson on. We'll do a little Bears talk. Uh, at 2.30-ish, I will have Michael Schindler or Mike Schindler, I'm sorry, from Classic Cinemas, and we will do our weekly movie update. I'll also have a weekly Hornet update for you in there. But as I discuss, it is time for Cinema Talk, and uh, in studio and on the line with me, I have in studio Michelle Baylor, and on the line, welcome back to our good friend Bruce Stout. Bruce, good to have you back, my friend. Thank you very much. It's good to be back after such a long absence. So thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Well, yes. it, it's, it is great to have you back, Michelle. Thank you for coming in today. Yes, of course. It's, it's good to see <laughs> everyone. Bruce, yeah. I'm, I'm glad uh, you're healing up and uh, yes. you just still te- keep taking care of yourself and, uh, and uh, you'll, everything will work out. I know. Thank you so much for the well wishes. And uh, Michelle, good to hear your voice as well. Yes, it's great to hear your voice. So glad you're back on the show. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So, guys, we have a busy show today. We're going to take up like almost an hour here uh, because there's a lot that we're going to talk about. But we always do every time. uh, We always go in remembrance and we look at uh, those in the entertainment industry that have left us this last year. I'm going to let Michelle kick this off uh, with our first one. Yes, so um, while uh, our show is obviously today about um, iconic uh, women directors, unfortunately we lost quite a few uh, trailblazing uh, women within the last few months, um, or within the last month, and just trailblazers in general. So kicking it off here, uh, Italian director uh, Lena Wertmuller passed away December 9th at the age of 93. She had 33 directing credits and became the first woman nominated for the Best Director Oscar in 1977 for her film Seven Beauties. She's also known for the art films The Seduction of Mimi and Swept Away. In 2019, she was awarded the Academy, Academy Honorary Award and was the second female director to receive this accolade. So, um, yeah, she's definitely one of like the most... Um, groundbreaking uh, figures in like international women's cinema. Uh, so yeah, very sad to see to have seen that she passed, especially you know, considering the, the show that we're doing today. So RIP to her. All right. So uh, number two on our list is Chicago actor John Mulrain. Uh, Marlene, Marlene, I'm sorry, and he passed away December 9th at the age of 74. He was more of a theater actor, but he did have um, 11 film credits, uh, most of the movies Stranger Than Fiction, Hero, and On the Right Track. Uh, Bruce, would you do number three? Absolutely. Number three is Michael Nesmith, uh, the monkey singer, guitarist, and songwriter, passed away December 10th at the age of 78. Nesmith was a founding member of the group and co-star of the television series The Monkees. They're from 1966 to 1968. His songwriting credits include Different Drum, that was a hit for Linda Ronstadt and the Stone Ponies. I'll just insert something about The Monkees. A lot of people regarded The Monkees, not just uh, the fact of their music, but also their television uh, series. They were sort of, uh, not everybody agrees with this, but some regard them as America's answer to the Beatles. (laughs) I don't know if I necessarily agree with that assessment or not, but uh, the Monkees were hugely popular. 
so I just wanted to add that in there. You know, I think about a month before um, uh, Michael passed away, or Mr. Dave Smith passed away, he was actually on stage with Mickey Dolenz, mm -hmm. and they did their like last, <laughs> they did the, what was considered their last concert mm -hmm. together. So it was good that they were able to, you yeah. know, spend that time on stage before he passed. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I will go to number four. Yeah. Uh, so author Anne Rice passed away December 11th at the age of 80. She was best known for her series of novels, The Vampire Chronicles. Uh, books from The Vampire Chronicles uh, were the subject of two movies, Interview with the Vampire, and which was quite a good film, in my opinion, and Queen of the Damned, which was less acclaimed. Uh, sh since she published Interview with a Vampire in 1976, she wrote over 30 novels that have sold approximately 100 million copies. So, yeah, one of the best-selling novelists, like, ever, or at least in this country. And I was, you know, I think I've said this before on the show, as a big goth kid. Yeah. So, like, Stephen King and Anne Rice, that's pretty much all I read when I was in high school. <laughs> so, yeah, this this death, yeah, that was, was, was pretty hard for me. Yeah, because I just, I've been a fan of her work for probably, like, over 20 years now. Sure. So, R.I.P. to her. Yeah, absolutely. So, go ahead and do number five as well. Yes. So... This is another figure I wanted to, a uh, very important figure in the realm of feminist uh, film scholarship, specifically, and, and black scholarship. Uh, now, uh, yeah, black feminist scholar and activist Bell Hooks passed away December 15th at the age of 69. Her work focused on the intersectionality of race and gender. Her important writings include Ain't I a Woman, Black Women, and Feminism, which delves into how racism and sexism have affected black women. Her 1992 essay, The Oppositional Gaze, Black Female Spectators, is one of the most important pieces of black feminist film scholarship, and really, like, just film scholarship in general. So this piece, uh, just yeah. really quick, uh, so when we talk about the gaze in cinema, we often think of, like, the male gaze. Right. And um, that really... Uh, that, that was that term was sort of coined by Laura Mulvey in her seminal 1975 essay, Visual Pleasure in the Narrative Cinema, which talked about how women are often objectified by the male gaze in mainstream cinema. Now, what Hooks did, yeah. why her work is important in the realm of film scholarship, is she kind of took this uh, theory and, you know, dissected it a bit and said, hey, you're not really considering black spectators, especially black women. Like, how does the gaze affect black spectators so what she did is she she developed this idea of the oppositional gaze and she told black spectators especially black female spectators that what they should do is anytime they see a demeaning representation of themselves in media they use an oppositional gaze they reject it and and you know they're basically saying we will not accept this demeaning representation of us so her work was really 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 important and i was really sad to see her pass yeah i i did i was not aware of of, of bell hooks but it was great reading up on her and, and i appreciate you talking about her sure. um go ahead and do yeah, uh, Michelle, thank you no and actually I'll, I'll do the next one but bruce i want to talk to you talk about this one with you because i'm sure michelle wasn't around for this but we were both around with this um <laughs> after sally ann house um passed away december 19th at the age of 91 and i had no idea who this person was but then you know you look, and she had 40 film credits, most notably Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where she played Truly Scrumptious, was the name of her character. And um, <laughs> she was also in the movie The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickerby and Dead of Night. So nice. th those are highlight. But um, she, so I watched, I just 
because this was one of the movies of my youth that I remember watching mm-hmm. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang all the time. Bruce, I don't yeah, know I if you... Too. So there's, there's the we one... We had the toy, actually. The... We had the die-cast oh, metal wow. uh, car. The car. With the wings. Oh. Right. Yeah, the, car, the Chitty Chitty, the actual car. Right. And I, yeah, like I said, it's like die-cast metal, and it had the wings on it. Right. So, yes, I'm, I finally remember uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, no question. So uh, I went sorry, back... I no, that's that. a, no, no, go ahead. I went back and watched the... You know, film the clip of her singing "Doll in a Box," and and so they you know they actually show the clip from the movie, and it's the funny here. Funny thing is, Benny Hill plays the toy inventor who wheels this. It's, it's actually <laughs> Benny Hill wheeling this thing out, you know, and and they, he opens it up and it looks it's like a doll figurine she's supposed to be, and he cranks yeah. it up and she sings, and I close my eyes and I hear Julie Andrews. I, I said that to myself. I'm like, that sounds just like Julie Andrews. So I go and I research. Uh-huh. I go and research, and you come to find out that this role was offered to Julie Andrews, but because she had just played Mary Poppins, she turned it down. Right. Going further. That was the same. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying. Going, no, I was just go, gonna say. Yeah. You're gonna unearth something I had no clue about. I absolutely what you're about to talk about. I, you know, this. You're about to unearth something I didn't even know. So go right ahead. Jay. Well, that she, was, Sally, Miss Miss House was more of a, a theater actor. She never really had the, inter, the international fame that Julie Andrews did, but she was a huge theater actor. She replaced <laughs> Julie Andrews in My Fair Lady on Broadway. So, and I, I read up about that. And actually, the director there was a, the, you know, he was getting, you know, th- this was happening or transitioning, and they actually had a show where Julie Andrews was supposed to perform. And the director comes out beforehand and says, look, this part is going to be played by Sally Ann. And, I, and everyone, you know, obviously the crowd's not happy with that. And after the show, you know, they gave her a standing ovation. I mean, it's, you know, that's really yeah. cool. I mean, she, you know, if, if there's interviews with her talking about she never got the fame that, that she wanted. But she, you know, she was more in contact with the people, you know, from the stage, right? You know, talking, getting in, 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 in contact with the audience. So. Well, you know, legend has it, if I'm not mistaken, Julie Andrews, this was not the very first time that she had this sort of dynamic of competition. If I'm not mistaken, we mentioned My Fair Lady, I think, you know, when that came to film. And you're absolutely right yeah. about you know, uh, Sally Ann House. I had never heard of her either, but right. she was hugely popular as a fake actor. But I think Eliza Doolittle, you know, the character, the title character yeah. in My Fair Lady, I think most people are going to associate that, of course, with Audrey Hepburn. Right. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so, but that's good company. I guess the point oh, I'm yeah. making is that that's good company. <laughs> well, it, it's just interesting, though, that of course we all know Audrey Hepburn and we all know Julie Andrews, but none of us, mm-hmm. you know, Sally, Sally if you House, if right. you would have just said Sally Ann House, none of us would know, right? I mean, that's right. you know, and yet she was acclaimed on on the on the stage. So anyway, we'll mm-hmm. move we'll move on to the next one. Go ahead, Michelle. Uh, sure. So. Uh, author and screenwriter um, Joan Didion passed away on December 23rd at the age of 87. Uh, she had 12 uh, writing credits, most notably Play It As It Lays and A Star Is Born. Now, uh, she's most known for her memoir, The Year of Magical Thinking, where she basically talks about the grief she experienced following her husband's death. And that won the National Book Award for Nonfiction and was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize uh, for 
biography. Now, it was sort of, I'm kind of ashamed to admit, just as somebody who <laughs> I think is pretty well versed in women writers, I actually did not know Joan Didion wrote screen wrote screenplays. I just knew her really for the year of magical thinking. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. uh, great writer and uh, really sad to see her pass. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. So British actor Jack Headley passed away December 11th at the age of 92. He had 99 film credits, most notably The New York Ripper of Human Bondage, and he was in a Bond film uh, for her eyes only. So he had, I think he would he played one of the sub villains in the Bond. He was huge in British cinema. He just never, you know, right. really made it in right. in American cinema. Uh, Michelle, go ahead and take the next one. Yes, uh, this one was quite sudden and sad to see. Uh, director uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, I'm hoping I pronounced that right, uh, passed away December 26 at the age of 58. He had 21 directing credits, most notably Wild, Dallas Buyers Club, and the t- TV series uh, Sharp Objects and Big Little Lies. Um, yeah, phenomenal films. And Sharp Objects is one of my all-time favorite miniseries. It's actually one of the few adaptations that I like better than the book. Um, it's just so visually stunning. Mm-hmm. And, and I would highly write brilliant performances from right. um, Amy Adams yeah. and Trisha Clarkson in this. And there's just so much that he did as a director where he shows you. He just he kind of shows it to you. He doesn't really tell you. He just kind of shows it to you. And it, it, there's just so many haunting images that just were indelible that stuck with me like weeks after I watched this. So I highly recommend it. Very sad. And again, to see him pass as well. Right. They're very young, too. Yeah. So, so, Bruce, I want you to talk about yeah. number 10. Well, you know, it's daunting because number 10, what do you say about this personality that hasn't already yeah. been? Uh, been said, but I will read the copy, and I am definitely going to expound on it. Uh, NFL and broadcasting legend John Madden passed away December 28th at the age of 85. Madden was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders from 1969 to 1978. He led the team to eight playoff appearances, seven division titles, and the team's first Super Bowl uh, appearance and win. Super Bowl uh, <laughs> he's getting confused. XI, which means 11. He holds the highest winning percentage for any NFL coach that has coached 100 games. He was a color commentator. That's how I was introduced to him, by the way, to the NFL from 1979 to 2009, which earned him 16 whopping sports Emmy Awards. He appeared on all four major networks, CBS, Fox, ABC, and NBC. He lent his name, expertise, and commentary uh, to the uh, Madden NFL video game. Michelle, that's more your generation. Yeah, love those games. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, get this, the best-selling football video game franchise of all time. Madden was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame uh, 2006, Madden and his main broadcast partner, Pat Summerall, appear in the 2000 movie The Replacements, and Madden was featured in the 1994 movie Little Giants, which is a great overlooked film. Yeah. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I grew up with that. I, I yeah. really it. it is so feel-good. It's uh, I think it's largely overlooked. I just mm-hmm. kind of sort of stumbled upon it, but yeah. Um, I would love your guys' thoughts, but yeah, I mean, John Madden would... My favorite personal memory, I'm a big actual New York Giants fan, but my favorite personal memory um, was uh, in the, uh, let's see, Super Bowl 21, so the Broncos versus the Giants, 
And this was uh, in the age in 1987 of the Gatorade dunking. Uh, it hadn't really, now it's really commonplace, but in those days it was kind of what, unusual. But in Super Bowl, right. it looked like the Giants were going to, New York Giants were going to win. And, uh, you know, he had the telestrator, uh, John Madden did. And he's like, look, they have a mommy bucket, they have a daddy bucket, and then here we have a baby right, bucket. Right. So, and it got all this laughter. And, you know, that's just the kind of dynamic that he brought to a broadcast. So I would love your guys. Did you have anything, Michelle? Um, no, I mean, again, yeah. like like Bruce said, like what do you say about John Madden? I yeah, mean, he right. Was a giant right. of media. I mean, I mean, I, I love I love the video games, and yeah. it definitely always. I you know, for me, I have a different association being younger. Yeah, you know, obviously with the video games, and just right. seeing him make cameos in like media, like these movies. Um, yeah, just, he was. No, he was he was awesome. Well, <laughs> uh, so um, I recommend, highly recommend. I'll plug something here right mm-hmm. now, and there's a documentary that came out like three days before he passed away it's called mm-hmm. all it's called all madden and it's okay. fantastic and so what you learn is that john madden had a degree in education john madden when he retired from the oakland raiders went to teach for a year at the university of california and what did he teach how to watch football so you see video of him. They actually have video of him in the classroom drawing stuff up on the board. This is where the telestrator comes from, ah. which is one of the most brilliant inventions in the history of watching the game of football. Yes. And, and Madden was teaching you. He was taking his degree and applying it to the, the broadcast of the game. And that's why he was so good at what he was doing because people could relate to him because he was talking to them. He wasn't talking down to them. He was explaining things to them. Yes. And then they go further into why John Madden stopped flying on airplanes. And he wrote for a while, he rode Amtrak trains across the U.S. And I actually have a friend from high school that was on one of those trains and Madden signed his, his, his jacket. He was a, you know, worked on, worked on the Amtrak train and he, he signed, you know, Madden signed his jacket, but then he had the bus, right? He had the all Madden bus, yes, and, he did. Yes, which he was did. eventually, I forgot about this it was it was sponsored by um, Outback, so like the whole bus is named Outback, and he's doing commercials for Outback and Fast and Tenacton. This guy, his contract with Fox was thirty two million dollars a year. Let me say that again: he got paid thirty two million dollars a year to broadcast football. That's insane. It's insane. <laughs> But wow. he was the best. He was, yeah, he, yeah. I mean, his voice—I yeah. mean, he's yeah. so iconic. You yeah, know? him and him and Pat yeah. Summerall. And so there's another story in there where they talk about the turducken, mm-hmm. and that came from oh, right. from a game. I think it was in New Orleans where they had a Thanksgiving game, and this business brought this turducken. The next year, they sold like. 200,000 of these things or something wow. like that. It was insane. He'd like, I'd normally sell like 50 or 60 a year, and he sold like hundreds. Maybe it wasn't 200,000, but it was like, you know, 100 times the amount he normally sells every year. The turducken is all this different food. So anyway, we could talk forever about yeah. John Madden. I think the other thing that Bruce and I can relate to is we, we both worked at Blockbuster when these games became really big, right? I mean, the oh, Mad- yeah. Madden oh, yeah. NFL oh, yeah. was huge. You know, yep. Genesis, it was Sega Genesis. Nintendo item on Super NES. Yeah. Super, Super NES. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So let's, let, because we don't have forever. Yeah. We got so much to go through. Yes. Um, Michelle, you lead off number 11. Okay, I just got to take a little bit of a breath for yeah, this, this one. Yeah, this one's this, tough. This one really hurt. Yeah. Uh, 
Actress Betty White passed away December 31st, New Year's Eve, at the age of 99. White, who is considered the queen of television comedy, for sure, worked in uh, the industry for 81 years. She was the first woman to appear on TV in 1939. She had 124 acting credits, most notably Date with the Angels, 33 episodes, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, 45 episodes, The Betty White Show, 14 episodes, Mama's Family, 16 episodes, The Golden Girls, one of my all-time favorites, 177 episodes, The Golden Palace, 24 episodes, Ladies' Man, 30 episodes, Boston Legal, 16 episodes, The Bold and the Beautiful, 23 episodes, and Hot in Cleveland, 124 episodes. She also appeared in the movies Toy Story 4, The Lorax, The Proposal, and Lake Placid, which she's absolutely hilarious in. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. underrated. I didn't, she, even, I didn't even know until she passed away. I'm yeah. like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Amazing in that. Yep. Uh, she also was uh, characters on kids' shows like SpongeBob SquarePants, my sister's favorite, uh, The Pound Puppies, The Wild Thornberries, The Simpsons, and Family Guy. Uh, she won five Primetime Emmys, a Grammy, three SAG Awards, and many, many Lifetime Achievement Awards. She received her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1988. And just like Bruce said about John Madden, what could you possibly say yeah. about Betty White? Right. I mean, this woman was exactly. beyond an icon. Yeah. I mean, I don't even feel like I have the proper words to salute her. Yeah. I mean, she yes. was just beyond this world. And yeah. I was, this is kind of how important she is. Like, my, um, we have my a group text. Um, my sister recently gave birth to my beautiful nephew Bo and we have you know group text where we talk about my nephew and like when this broke at New Year's Eve and I remember seeing it on Twitter and I gasped and I, I started crying and I like I'm like I'm sorry to come into the group test but Buddy White just died and I'm just not dealing with it well <laughs> like that's how important oh, this wow. was and I had to like interrupt our group text yeah. about I it. Get it so yeah. I mean just a legend I, yeah yeah Bruce, Bruce well, your you thoughts well, it's, you know, it's an overused cliche. I'm an actor myself. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, for me, the semantic or the, the the figure of speech comes to mind that talk about someone that's easy to work with. Mm-hmm. If you have a resume that's that diverse and that abundant, that's got to be a testament to her versatility, her diversity. But also, you don't get a resume like that without just being a good person to yeah. work yeah, with. Right, and, yeah, exactly. You know, I, w- I would like to think that that smile, you know, that you see on TV and you see in movies permeates into working with her on set. And I would think it would almost have to. You know what I mean? No. So, she, yeah, you're She was fantastic. There's... um. You know, and, and, and Lake Placid, so I did not know that she did this role. And now I have to go watch the movie because... One of my favorite roles. Because <laughs> one of my favorite lines of all time is when she tells the cop, if I had a you-know-what, I would tell you to, you know what, it yep. right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm going, wait a minute, that's Betty White saying yep. that. But, but White. Th- there's a video of her, I think it's at the William Shatner roast, <laughs> where she just tears apart. And now people should know what a roast is, okay? Yeah. It is the ultimate compliment at a roast to tear another yeah. part. That's what they do. That's that's how they yeah. show love to each other, right? Yeah, that's the whole point. They're tearing each other apart because they love each other. Period. Mm-hmm. So I mean she just tears Farrah Fawcett apart, George Takai, and she just like leaves the set, you know, who is Artie Lang. She goes Lang, yeah. I think she says to him, you know, I just look at you and realize most likely I'm a live longer than you, you know, yeah. or something. I mean, you know, just <laughs> it, these things are, you know, sh- just amazing. 
she was so good and obviously she yes. didn't she had writers and stuff that they all do but she was so good at the delivery yeah so Effort, effortless yeah. delivery like yeah. it just came so naturally to yeah. her that's why she was so brilliant what she did you yeah know? absolutely yeah. well let's let's roll on because okay. this could go on yeah. forever yes. all right uh, real quickly actor writer max julian passed away january 1st at the age of 89 he had 15 acting credits most notably thomasine and bushrod getting straight and the oh. mac he wrote the screenplays for Thomasine and Bushrod and Cleopatra Jones. Bruce, why don't you do number 13? Number 13 is another icon director. Yep. Actor, yep. Peter Bogdanovich passed yep. away January 6th at the age of 82. Bogdanovich had 34 directing credits, most notably Mask, one of my all-time favorite films, by the way. Yep. Jay, you and I talked yep. about this. We have. Yep. A huge Noises Off. We actually performed that. I don't mean to interrupt the flow. <laughs> That's we all right. performed Noises Off when I was in college at Red State. It's a great slapstick. Yeah. Um, you can call it what you want. It's also overlooked. Caper Moon, I remember Tatum O'Neill yeah. and yep. um, Ryan O'Neill, both mm-hmm. father and daughter, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, you're right. What's up, Doc? Mm-hmm. And the last picture show, real quickly, the very first cinema manager I ever had right out when I was right out of high school claimed that the last picture show was his favorite film of all time. Um, he was nominated for two Academy Awards, both for the last picture show, best director and best writing. Whoops, I'm sorry. Screenplay based on material from another medium. He also had 58 acting credits, most notably the TV series Get Shorty and The Sopranos. Now, what I will fortify with that uh, estimation of Peter Bogdanovich, I was actually watching a documentary um, about the making of the film Star 80 with Mariel Hemingway. Yeah, yeah. right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's with Eric Roberts, who's really good in that film. It's a very dark film. But the tie-in to Peter Bogdanovich mm. is that I guess I can't think of... Oh, yes, Dorothy, Dorothy Stratton. Stratton. I know exactly. I knew exactly yeah. what you were getting at. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the ill-fated the playmate, yes. Um, yes. I guess, had a relationship yes. with Peter. Now I yeah. sound like a gossip. But yeah, right. <laughs> with, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, and so he was, you know, just to throw it in there, he was also very handsome and very charismatic yes. as that person, but I wanted to get the year all stuff um, as well. Yeah, he was definitely one of the great directors of the new Hollywood era, like around, like with Coppola, Scorsese, uh, you know, Nichols, like uh, Altman and all those guys, right, and um, right. mm-hmm. I just want to say, like, uh, I mean, directed so many phenomenal films, as you said, but like Mask literally like wrecked my life when yeah. i was a kid in a good way <laughs> a great moment. like yeah. i was yeah. heartbroken yeah. like like with his relationship yeah. with like, yeah. like laura dern right is like the blind girl blind. and like blind it's so girl. sweet mm-hmm. and her parents won't let him yep. her date him and then the ending share acted yeah. the heck out of that scene yeah. i yeah. was she really did sobbing yeah. <laughs> so yeah. i just had to give a shout out to mask because and what a great sure. director he was because that movie just really stu- still sticks with me like so, 25 uh, years after seeing we, it we did bruce and i I did do uh, like a whole segment on feel good movies, and yeah. I think Bruce, this was this was one of your films from that. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. It's a, it's a great, it uh, it's a great right. great film. Yeah. So let's I'll, I'll move on real quick. Film critic Michael <laughs> Wilmington passed away January sixth at the age of seventy five. Uh, uh, he was born in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, about a half an hour yeah. from here, and he actually lived in <laughs> Williams Bay, which is even closer. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, I think he moved to L.A. for a while. He was a lead critic in L.A., but then he came back. I think Gene Shalit retired, 
and he took over as the lead critic for the Chicago Tribune because um, uh, Gene, uh, uh, Gene Siskel was, you know, so involved in at the movies with uh, Roger Ebert, right? So he was like the lead critic there for like 15 years. Uh, our good friend Matt Fagerholm actually knew him fairly well, and uh, but he, I think he had Parkinson's, and he, and that's he passed away complications. So Michelle, let's jump into number 15. Just, just super, super quick. I just yeah. want to say I'm really ashamed of myself that I did not know who this was because I'm pretty good with like knowing who film critics were, and I used to live, I, and I used to live in Williams Bay. So sorry, I do, I do want to look up his work now. But anyway, I'm going to move on to. Um, Another a really hard one to talk oh, yeah. about. Another icon, um, Oscar-winning actor Sidney Poitier, passed away uh, January seventh at the age of ninety-four. Poitier had fifty-five acting credits, most notably in *The Heat of the Night*, *Guess Who's Coming to Dinner*, *A Raisin in the Sun*, *To Serve with Love*, *The Defiant Ones*, and *Lilies of the Field*, for which he won the Academy Award for Best Director in a Leading Role or, or Best Actor. I'm sorry, I, I like all like messed up right now. Talk about Sidney Poitier, Best Actor yeah, in a Leading yeah, Role. Yeah. He also had nine directing credits, most notably *Ghost Dad*, which was news to me. Uh, up, *Uptown <laughs> Saturday Night* and *Stir Crazy*, one of the greatest comedies ever made. Yeah. Um, I just again, I feel like I just don't have the adequate words to describe like how phenomenal this man was and his impact on popular culture his impact on society sure um yeah. you know civil rights in this country i mean i just like i just yeah i'm just like here like i don't you can't even describe how phenomenal Sidney Poitier was what an icon yeah can we can we like one off Go ahead, Bruce. Well, I just wanted to put no. It's okay. I wanted to put Sidney Poitier in the context of time, especially like like you were saying. Um, at that time, if you put it in the parentheses of the time, Sidney Poitier was just a wonderful, wonderful um, example for uh, you know uh, the struggle of, of, of people of color. Yes. So I yes. wanted yes. to put yes. that in yep. there. You can't say enough about that. Yes. Does it Denzel Washington that said it when he was accepting his second Oscar? I'll always be chasing you. I'll always, yes. you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, right. it's a it's I a mean, great it's a great yeah. moment. And point it. I mean, he yeah, he was amazing. I just watched that clip from In the Heat of the Night where well, he actually demanded because they wanted to change the screenplay. There's a scene where this this you know business leader slaps him. You know, white business leader slaps him in the heat of the night, and they wanted to take out the part where he slaps him back. And Portier said. If you do that, I'm leaving. I will not do wow. this role. I will. This has wow. to be in this movie. And you know, Rod Steiger. I mean, you got these amazing actors. Rod Steiger and his Sidney Portier. Portier are, are. It's just fantastic. So let's because we got to move. Yeah, uh, um, we're almost there. Yeah, uh, Bruce, do number do number sixteen. Oscar-winning lyricist Marilyn Bergman passed away January eighth at the age of ninety-three. Bergman collaborated with her husband, Alan, on hundreds of songs, most notably The Way We Were, Oh My Goodness, that's yeah. our good song a lot, which won uh, a Best Music Original Song Academy Award in 1973. She also won a Best Music Original Song. Sorry about that. I'm leaving my notes here. And also uh, uh, the uh, adaptation or best adaptations for, for Yentl in 19... It, oh, am I pronouncing that right? Yentl, Yentl, is Yentl right. Yeah, that's how I always... Yeah, in 1983. And she also composed music for TV shows, Good Times Mod, In the Heat of the Night, and Alice. Pretty impressive. Okay, I'll do 17... Oh, did I ever... Yeah, go ahead. No, you're good. I'll do 17 real quick because we have one more after that. Actor Dwayne Hickman passed away January 9th at the age of 87. He had 67 acting credits. Most notably, he was the main character in this 
TV show that I never watched when I was a kid, but the dope, uh, he played Dobie Gillis in the show, The Many Lives of Dobie Gillis, 148 episodes. And what I've read, it was a huge show at the time. Yes. I just, yeah. I never saw it. And so I can't really speak to it, yeah. but uh, he, uh, you know, rest in peace, Mr. Hickman. Let's go to the last one, Michelle. Yes. Um, this one's going to be hard. This yeah. one's going to be very hard. Uh, <laughs> actor, comedian Bob Saget passed away January 9th at the age of 65, uh, considered by many the 90s generations um, American dad uh, Saget had 64 acting credits most notably as Danny Tanner on the TV show Full House 192 episodes from 1987 to um, 1995 and Fuller House 15 episodes from 2016 to 2020 he was also the host of America's Funniest Home Videos from 1989 to 1997 and was the narrator on How I Met Your Mother from 2005 to, 200, to 2014 206 episodes um, I, I know that you know there, we have a bit of an age difference here uh, you guys are right, a bit older right. than I am Bob Saget no. was a <laughs> significant part of my childhood yeah, yeah. Um, Full House yeah. was one of my favorite shows I'd watch America's Funniest Home Videos um, if, uh, there was something about him as he was our, like our TV dad, like yeah. in the nineties, TJF was such a big deal. Like I, as nineties kids, you know, we'd rush home and Friday, you know, ready to watch full house and family matters and boy meets world. And I just, and the reason I think, yeah, full house, you might say it's kind of corny, but the reason this show works is because this family really, these actors really loved each other and you feel the love in this show. This family is just so amazing and they support each other in wonderful ways. And Danny Tanner was like, you know, it was almost like an, you know, he was like this neat freak. He was kind of like a a single dad that you hadn't really seen on TV before. And this was like an unconventional family that I think a lot of kids could relate to that didn't have like a traditional, like mom and dad kind of family. (laughs) And um, I just got to say like, why I kind of teared up is like reading the tributes from people, like from the entire, entire full house cast like pretty much the entire full house cast released these tributes i was in tears for like a good day and jimmy kimmel did a bit uh or not a bit but like introduced his show uh talking about saget could barely stop crying i mean like the man was loved and that's why i think you know this is affecting so many of us like it is you know and very untimely passing yeah well you know it's (laughs) <laughs> and the funny thing about Bob Saget is everyone consider, considers him, you know, America's dad. You know, you know hey, this wholesome, full, you know, you need to watch Bob Saget on stage doing his comedy routine. Or or just go watch the – just look up YouTube, Aristocrats, yeah. Bob Saget, yeah. and you will know there's another side to him. Now, yeah. it's not a bad side. It is – he just did a lot of blue. Betty White did blue. I mean, yes. uh, and the aristocrats, so people should know, that's actually a long-running joke. The joke is, you know, this family walks into a casting director or, you know, or, you know they're a talent scout, and they're looking for a job. And the, what the comedians do is they make it as filthy as, and disgusting as they can <laughs> to gross out their yeah. friends. And, and, you know, and so like the Aristocrats documentary is that it's a bunch of comedians telling the story in their, their own version, you know, and Saget is actually like in the middle of his telling his story. He's like, what am I doing? Because he realized how far he was going. It was yeah. just absolutely gross and disgusting <laughs> and funny. And you like felt like you had to take a shower after watching him talk because it was just like, oh, yeah. my God, I can't believe I'm laughing at this. It's so gross. But. Yeah, he he was very talented. He was loved. I watched the Kimmel thing too. Yeah. I'm crying watching yeah. Kimmel talk about him. I mean, it was, it was so hard. Yeah, to watch that. Yeah, it was it was it was very cool. Did yeah. Bruce, you have any thoughts? 
you know, I, I, I kind of agree with what, what uh, Michelle was talking about as far as, you know, maybe uh, you know, he was known as America's dad. Maybe he was sort of a comfort to people that didn't have a conventional, uh, you know, mother and yes. father. And I, I, I tend to agree with that. But getting back to your spread, yes, you know, comedians uh, all throughout, especially television, you know, will have one side that's very wholesome. And and right. lends itself very much to you know one image, and then like you were talking about, Jason, a, a totally different side of them emerges. So yes, I just kind of wanted to echo that. I'm a big fan to this day. Whoever's hosting America's Funniest Home Videos, I mean, I just thought, you know, but he wasn't he one of the first hosts. Yeah, I'm not he mistaken? was the first host. He was the first yeah. host, and then, the first host. and then and then uh, Bergeron is next. Yeah. Um, yes, that's what I'm trying to. And now it's yes, the gentleman who was uh, opposite of. Uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I cannot... Oh, Alfonso Rivera. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And okay. he's really good. I mean, but Saget was so good at America's yeah. Funniest Home. I mean, he was yeah. America's dad. I mean, he was like in everyone's household on Thursday night or Friday nights Friday, and CGI Sunday album. nights. Yep. Right? Yep. I mean, and Sunday, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. All right, guys. We got like 20 okay. minutes to do our topic. And our topic <laughs> is women directors. And... The young lady sitting next to me over here actually studied this in college. So we're going to like leave, let her lead this discussion because yep. she's going to be really good at it. So, Michelle, go, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, so I'm going to start talking about uh, this is basically the history of women directors from the early days of cinema to now. So uh, French trailblazer Alice Guy Brachet was the first female filmmaker. Uh, her 1896 short, The Cabbage Fairy, is regarded as the first uh, narrative fiction film, or the first one that we know of. And, uh, you know, because before this, like, most, um, you know, films were, like, documentary films, like the Lumieres, you know, like, filming workers leaving their factory or the train, the, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen, like, the train, um, you know, uh, heading towards the camera, you know. So, yeah, she made the first, like, actual, like, narrative fiction film. So she made films of various genres, ranging from comedy to westerns. In the early 1910s, she founded Solak Studios in New Jersey, which was one of America's first film studios. Uh, now, this uh, also founded in New Jersey was Edison's uh, Black Maria Studio, which is actually called America's first film studio. So, yeah, as uh, you may or may not know that, like, our film industry started out it was based originally on the east coast before it uh, moved to hollywood so um <laughs> now uh, another important female figure from the early days of cinema uh, is Lois Weber. Now, her films focused on social issues and sort of the unfair restrictions of gender norms, which is pretty revolutionary for the 1910s. Uh, her groundbreaking and controversial films include Hypocrites from 1915, which featured full frontal nudity. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of nudity in that film. And Where Are My Children from 1916, which tackled abortion. So uh, obviously these films were made before the Hayes co Code was put into place in the early 30s. Of course, that would restrict all of that naughty content, you know, right, controversial right. subjects right, and nudity right. and stuff like that. So during the rise of the studio system in the 1920s, opportunities for women directors dwindled quite a bit. But there were a few women that managed to be successful during the golden age of Hollywood, and the most significant one is Dorothy Arzner. She directed some of the most um really some of the most iconic actresses of the 30s and 40s and really iconoclastic actresses like uh Catherine Hepburn and Rosalind Russell and her films included feminist undertones like they didn't seem that revolutionary on the surface but if you really dig deep you can see that they emphasized like female solidarity and other feminist concepts uh her films include Christopher Strong starring Catherine Hepburn Craig's Wife from 1936 
uh, starring Rosalind Russell as a very sympathetic uh, housewife protagonist. Her most acclaimed uh, and recognized work is Dance Girl Dance, starring Maureen O'Hara and Lucille Ball, <laughs> pre uh, I Love Lucy fame. They are dancers <laughs> who attempt to like express themselves, stay true to themselves while pursuing um, their careers. And I, I, I love this movie. I've actually said Lucille Ball is phenomenal in it. Um, Another notable uh, female auteur from classic Hollywood was is an actress turned or was was actress turned director Ida Lupino. She's regarded as the most significant female director of the 1950s. Arzner had actually retired uh, in the early 1940s. Like Lois Weber, uh, she wasn't afraid to make films about controversial social issues. So her first film, Not Wanted, from 1949, is about teen pregnancy. And Outrage from 1950 is one of the first films to candidly kind of talk about the trauma that uh, sexual assault survivors uh, face. Uh, she was uh, the first, uh, Ida Lupina was the first woman to direct a mainstream film noir, The Hitchhiker, which is awesome. If you're a film noir fan like I am, check this one out. Uh, she kind of would pave the way, you know, for women who didn't, you know, you know, basically she proved that, hey, women can direct these violent films starring men. You know, we can do what the men can do in terms of directing. Now, uh, during the second rise of the second wave of feminism, which happened in the 60s and 70s, um, yeah, in this era, this wasn't a great time for women directors. <laughs> um, there were not a lot of successful ones. Uh, the one most, uh, who was the most successful, arguably, was comedian Elaine May. Uh, she rose to fame with the comedy act uh, uh, with future like graduate director Mike Nichols and Nichols and May. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she wrote, directed, and starred in her first film called A New Leaf in 1971, uh, which co-starred Walter Matthau. Her most celebrated film is the black rom-com The Heartbreak Kid, starring Charles Gordon and Sybil Shepard. Like I know the terrible like Ben Stiller movie. I did not know that was a remake of the Elaine <laughs> May movie. Um, like I mentioned, uh, Lena Brutmuller passed away. She wins uh, the, the, or she, I'm sorry, she's nominated for the Best Director Oscar for Seven Beauties in 1977, which was significant because she was the first woman nominated for that award. But at this time, most female filmmakers, they were more focused on like making documentaries like Barbara Koppel, you know, who made Harlan County, USA in 1976, one of the most significant. Uh, Great point. movie. By yeah, the way. like that's like one of, one of the best documentaries ever made. And uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, women, and there were a lot of avant garde and indie, or not a lot, but there were like a few avant garde and indie filmmakers, female filmmakers at this time, but not a lot of mainstream ones. Now, the 1980s changes that. <laughs> that, was a, that era was much kinder to female filmmakers. And many of the most revered uh, women directors in Hollywood made their directorial debuts in this decade. Amy Hackerling directed the classic coming of age comedy Pastimes at Ridgemont High in 82. Barbara Streisand directs Yentl in 1983 and becomes the first woman to win a Best Director Golden Globe. Penny Marshall directs her first feature film in 1986. Uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash, one of my favorite comedies starring Whoopi Goldberg. Catherine Bigelow also makes her solo directorial debut with the vampire western Near Dark, which is awesome. That movie is cool. <laughs> Check it out if you haven't seen yes, it. it uh, the, um, you also start to see uh, late 80s and into the 90s, you start to see more uh, women of color directing feature films. So Indian-American director Mira, Mira Nair makes uh, her feature film debut with Salon Bombay in 1988. So uh, they t women directors continue to gain visibility and acclaim in the 1990s. Jane Campion is the first woman to win the Palme d'Or at Cannes and becomes the second woman to be nominated for the Best Director Oscar for The Piano in her 1993 film, uh, one of my favorites. Um, 
Julie Dash, uh, she directs Daughters of the Dust in 1992, and she this movie is absolutely beautiful. And she oh. is the actually becomes the first black woman to direct a feature film distributed in, in theaters in the United States, which is kind of you know it took until the 90s for that had to happen. Um, Nora Ephron directs Sleepless in Seattle, 1993. Uh, now, also women were directing male-centric comedies like Wayne's World. It's directed by a woman, directed by uh, Penelope Spheris. And I didn't know that Billy Madison was actually directed by a woman. <laughs> and so was Half-Baked, both directed by Tamara Harris. I'm sorry, Tamara Davis. In 1986, uh, Cheryl Dunier directs The Watermelon Woman. And that is the first feature film uh, directed by a black LGBTQIA woman. So, um, wow. of course, yeah, and again, like 1990s, it took until 1996 for that to happen. Uh, female filmmakers, you know, continue to accomplish noteworthy milestones in the new millennium. Uh, future woman, Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins makes her directorial debut with Monster, a great, disturbing film, but a great oh. film. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Sofia Coppola, one of my favorite directors, she becomes the third, yeah, third woman to be nominated by for the uh, by the Academy for Lost in Translation from 19, 2000, 2003, I'm sorry, and that movie is an absolute masterpiece in my book. Uh, now now we're at the last leg of it here. We're in the 2010s and the 2020s. So at the 2010 Oscars, Catherine Bigelow became the first woman to win Best Director. It took until 2010 <laughs> for a woman to win Best Director at the Oscars. In 2013, Jennifer Lee uh, co-directed Frozen, one of the most successful Disney films of all time, and became the first woman to direct a film that earned more than one billion in box office gross or gross box office revenue which is pretty cool uh for her 2014 film selma ava duvernay became the first black woman nominated for the best director golden globe uh, greta gerwig i think one of the best directors working today she made her solo directorial debut with lady bird in 2017 be and became the fifth woman nominated for the best director academy award in 2021 chloe zob makes history uh, becoming the first Asian woman to win Best Director and the second woman to win Best Director, obviously after Catherine Bigelow for her 2020 film Nomadland. So, so Michelle, wow. tell tell us your favorite director and just a couple of her works. Sure. Uh, so my favorite director is uh, her name is Patricia Rosema. And she's a Canadian director born in 1958. She was part of the Toronto New Wave of filmmakers like from the 80s and the early 90s. She has 22 directing credits, uh, including um, Kit Ketteridge, An American Girl, which is probably her most mainstream film. Uh, uh, she's mostly known for indies. She also made the film Into the Forest. Uh, she's, uh, she directed episodes of TV shows like Tell, you, Tell Me... Tell, uh, let me try that again. Tell me you love me in treatment, mm -hmm. Mozart in the Jungle, and Anne with an E. Now, my favorite film from her is a film called I've Heard the Mermaid Singing. It's from 1987. Stars Sheila McCarthy. Uh, this, I'm going to butcher this name. Polly Balergon, John. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. And Anne-Marie McDonald. This is her first feature film. Now, it really resonates me with me. It's about like a 30-something aspiring photographer who's kind of stuck working like crappy time jobs uh and uh she lives alone with her kitty and she doesn't have a relationship or anything like that she's very much a loner she takes a temp job at this art gallery uh curated by a woman named gabrielle and just polly really uh defies expectations for hollywood heroines i feel like if she was a hollywood heroine she would have a husband by the end and would you know get everything she wants and that's just not how this movie works out 
um, which I which is what I love about it. Um, the film I talked about the male gaze earlier. It really resists the male gaze because. Um, the entire film is told uh, through Polly's perspective. Like, through, you see everything either through her camera or through uh, her narration to, like, a video camera or through her black, these black-and-white fantasy sequences that express her thoughts. Um, the film <laughs> focuses on strong platonic and romantic relationships between women. So it, in 1987 film with uh, an LGBTQI relationship, that's pretty significant. Um, female solidarity is important in Rosamund's films. Um, and women in, in her films often look up to each other instead of wanting to like tear each other and tear that each other down and like compete with each other. So that's really mm -hmm. awesome. And um, this movie, uh, so the movie, uh, I, what I love about the ending is really how Polly, the protagonist, learns to value herself as a creator and embrace her uh, unique vision as an artist rather than like trying to pair her up with a dude or something, you know, like, like you often see in a lot of like Hollywood women's films. So yeah, it's a really great film. I, I recommend checking it. I don't know if it's readily available anymore, but <laughs> check it out if you can. And my second sure. film is uh, Mansfield Park adaptation of Jane Austen's 1814 novel. Um, also obviously directed by Rosama, starring Frances O'Connor, M. Beth Davids, Johnny Lee Miller, Alessandro Nivola, and Harold Pinter. Now, uh, what I, it's actually my favorite Austen adaptation because it's not faithful to the book. <laughs> I didn't love this character in Austen's novel. She's probably one of the least dynamic Austen heroines. She's kind of shy and unsure of herself. Now, Fanny in this film is very outspoken, very sure of herself, and she calls out uh, people who have, like, crappy views about others, you know, who, like, discriminate against others. She will call out injustice. And she is more based on Austin herself because she's actually, like, a writer. So she's a creator, kind of like Polly is in the other film I talked about. She's a photographer and Fanny's a writer. And, again, this film has a strong emphasis on female solidarity. Fanny has a closer relationship with her sister in this book, than in the movie, than she does in the book. Uh, so it really does kind of reflect third wave feminist sensibilities of the 1990s because it encourages women to be outspoken and share their opinions on art and also to support each other again to not to show women you know having strong relationships with each other instead of trying to compete with each other so that's why I love Rosama's work is like because there's a really strong emphasis on female solidarity and the importance of women as artists so very cool yeah. <laughs> Bruce we're going to jump right to your director and her films mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm going to move as fast as I can. Uh, let me start by saying mine is uh, indeed Penny Marshall, but uh, let's point out to Jay that uh, you and I talked about Ron Howard in the past, so for me it's no surprise that uh, I chose Penny Marshall because she's from that sort of brain trust that created right. you know, Gary Marshall. She is indeed the uh, younger sister of Gary right. Marshall. Yeah. She is, uh, you know, so of course she's best known for Laverne on Laverne and Shirley, yeah. but, um, you know, it, 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 we're cinema buffs, so of course we recognize her directorial efforts, um, namely 16 directing credits, including A League of Their Own, very popular film, yes. Renaissance Man, which is a great Great. Uh, I can't say enough about that, but our time is limited. Jumping Jack Flash, I think, Michelle, you mentioned that you were very fond of that yeah. film with Whoopi Goldberg, yes. right? Mm -hmm. and, and The Preacher's Wife. And, uh, of course, the two films I wanted to focus on was Big uh, from 1988, starring Tom Hanks, 
Mercedes rule, Robert Loggia, who usually plays bad guys, yeah. in my experience, <laughs> right. he's really good in this role. John Hurd, I'm going to real briefly touch on John Hurd. He's one of those actors, uh, Sandy Dennis used to be like this for her generation. He just shows up at the right place in time, yeah. but he's not exactly a household word. Right. word. Excuse me. He's not, you know, but he's a great actor if you know film. But I mean, you know, unlike Tom Hanks, let's say, for example, John Hurd shows up in the right in the right projects. I just I, I didn't want to let that go unnoticed. And then Elizabeth Perkins is the female uh, ingenue. She's the female lead. And then the second film, um, you know, I'll touch on Dick for a little bit. It's no wonder that it is directed by Penny Marshall because it is very wholesome. It, it touches on this theme that I think is very universal. Uh, it's funny, Jay, you and I are in our 50s now. It's like you always want what you don't have. So, of course, Tom Hanks' character starts off as a kid. He wants to be big. And then once you reach a certain age, I, it doesn't address this in the film, but you want to be young again. So it's, so it's just kind of funny to me. But it's a very good premise. It's done brilliantly, and it's no wonder. Now, I didn't know this until I kind of cheated and watched a documentary about Penny Marshall this morning. And I think, Michelle, you were talking about the one billion milestone. I think Penny Marshall was the first one with, I think it was big, to cross the one million mark in revenues, if I'm not mistaken. I think, I yeah, I think you might be right on that, yeah. Yeah, okay, so moving right along, the second one I chose was Awakenings. Um, in first day, I like to put things in the in the context of time. Uh, it was released in 1990, starring Robert De Niro, Robin Williams as the doctor. He went on to, to play sort of a doctorly role later on in his career. Uh, John Hurd, there, there he is again. Yeah. Uh, Julie, yeah, Julie Kavner, uh, a lot of people will know her as the voice of Mark Simpson. Yep. But, yeah, <laughs> yep. I had to throw that in there. Uh, my first association with Julie Kavner was an association with Woody Allen, but she's actually very, very pretty in this film, and, and she's kind of the love interest of Robin Williams. And for me, it was kind of a, a, a new role to see her in. I think she shines. And Penelope Ann Miller, uh, there's a Another, now she's an ingenue uh, for the Robert yeah. De Niro character, and it's heartbreaking. It, yes. it, it really is. It's, it, it's bittersweet. We touched on the mask earlier. Yeah. Um, in the sense, like I said, it's bittersweet. In the sense, it's very life-affirming, but yes. then uh, it, it, it turns very, very poignant and very, very sad. But, yes. um, yeah, I just wanted, real quickly, and I know our time is limited, your thoughts about the two films, uh, Michelle and Jay? Uh, yeah, these are both great. Uh, yeah, just very quick. Uh, yeah. Big is classic. I, right. I actually feel really bad that I didn't know Awakenings was directed by Penny Marshall for such a long time. It's such a beautiful, yeah. profound film, and she did a fantastic job. But, like, I really just do, I guess, more associate her with comedies. And I just want to say that, mm -hmm. like, yeah, and, and Renaissance Man is great, by the way. I think it's underrated. <laughs> it's one yeah. of my favorites when I was a kid. Yeah. And A League of Their Own and Jumpin' Jack Flash were both very important in my childhood. Um, you know, League of Their Own, again, going back to the idea of female solidarity, that right. movie was so important to me as a girl. And even Jumpin' Jack Flash, because Whoopi Goldberg played another, like, an unconventional heroine. Like, she right. swore, right. She, yeah. didn't, she didn't yeah. take any crap, you know. And yeah, so I just really, Penny Marshall's great, and her movies were really important to me growing up. Yeah, no, she was a w wonderful, uh, wonderful director. I actually met her daughter 
uh, when they had a celebration of uh, a league of their own in Rockford. I think it was 2018. Her daughter came, and they had they had the the women's baseball professional women's baseball association there. So it was pretty neat. Um, you know, the Rockford Peaches obviously were featured in mm-hmm. League of Their Own. Yeah. So yeah, all right. So yeah, real, right, right. So real quick, I'm gonna jump into mine because I only have like two minutes to do real quick. And you've already mentioned this is Catherine Bigelow. She was born in 1951. Mm-hmm. She was actually married. She's only been married once, and she was married to James Cameron for yeah. like for yep. two years. Yep. And before that, Cameron was married to Gail Ann Hurd who they produced and did uh, Aliens together. So that marriage didn't last. I don't even know if Cameron's right. married anymore. But we're talking about Catherine Bigelow, and she's all right, so the two movies, well, she did 20 movies, and you mentioned Near Dark, which is a fantastic yes, film. Uh, she did the movie Detroit, The Hurt Locker, which she won an Academy Award for, K-19, The Widowmaker, Strange Days, yeah, which is a, fan, a fantastic love film, uh, Blue Steel, Jamie Lee Curtis, and... Um, Jamie Lee Curtis. That's yeah, a great movie. It's a great I, movie. I love that heroine. But my, my two movies, and most of her movies, well, not most... Um, most of her movies, I guess, are about male characters, right? Yes. So Point Break is like the ultimate male adrenaline film. Yes. Um, you know, they, they did a remake. They should never have done that. You, I, I don't know right. how you do that, but this movie stars Keanu Reeves, plays this character, Johnny Utah, who's like a you know first-time FBI agent. Uh, his partner is Gary Busey, and they're, they're trying to find out who these guys are robbing these banks, and they— Reeves and Busey think it's this group of guys that like seek thrills led by Patrick Swayze as Bodie, right? It's just this character that just like lives on Zen, right? Like I am going for the most extreme rush. So they rob banks to get the money to fund these extreme things. They do, you know, they, they, they jump from planes. They, you know, they surf, whatever. Laura Pet, Lori Petty plays a love interest. Mm -hmm. She was also in a league of their own. She plays a young sister. This is like one of my favorite fun movies. Like it comes on. I watch this movie just because it's not a great movie. It's just such a fun movie. I'm seeing it at the theater it, to, I mean, to me, it is a great film, but, it, you know, obviously stacking up, I could name, you know, can we go do a whole show on Keanu Reeves? He's fantastic. The ending is epic, by the mm-hmm. way. The, ending, the, ending. <laughs> the ending's fantastic. So uh, then my second movie, which has his a female lead, yes. um, is Jessica Chastain, who I love. I follow her on Twitter. Yes. Um, she it's called Zero Dark Thirty and it's about the killing of, of, of Bin Laden. Yes. Um, and it's 2012, starring Jessica Chastain, Joel Edgerton, who's wonderful, Chris mm-hmm. Pratt, Mark Strong, Jason Clark, Kyle Chandler, all wonderful actors. Yes. But led by Jessica Chastain, she is the lead of this movie. She drives this film. Um, you know, I think she's the head of whatever agency that, that yeah. puts together this raid to kill Bin Laden and. Bigelow just does such a great job. I mean, I could have named Kurt Locker here, K-19, Near Dark. Near Dark is a great, Strange Days. She was a wonderful, wonderful director, or she is a wonderful, wonderful director. I'm just looking forward to the next thing that she does. Wish they'd let her do more. That's the thing. I I don't understand. Just really quick, you know, like, she she shows that she can, like, direct, like, have phenomenal dynamic heroines, like in Zero Dark Thirty and Blue Steel, which I think is underrated. But then also just, like, to say, hey, she's, like, always been, like, hey, I can do what the men can do. I can She's kind of a right. progeny to Ida Lupino. We talked about like, hey, yes. women can yes. direct w- movies centered on men. Men have been right. doing it for women for years, so women can do what men can do. 
for sure. So yeah, I mean, I would have loved, loved I would have loved to have been on the set of Point Break. Yeah. I mean, that would have been so much fun because there's all this testosterone <laughs> yeah. and there's this woman who's controlling everything is yeah. the director. Because yeah. people don't understand, like, yeah. the director sets the mood for how the film is shot, you know? Yeah. And that movie is complete and utter testosterone. So, yeah. you know, and she yeah. controlled it. So yeah. she did great. Hey, guys, I got to cut it short. Okay. Um, it's been a, it's a, been a wonderful show. I will uh, we'll come out and let everyone know what our topic will be for next month. Right. But, uh, Bruce, thank you for joining us. Please stay safe. Absolutely. Uh, Michelle. Oh, yes, I will. Yeah, Michelle, thank you for joining us. Yes. Have thanks. a wonderful uh, week or whatever. Everyone out there, thank you for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. And this is Bye. Jay Schultz. Thank you, Jay. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Th this is Jay Schultz here for uh, WHIW 101.3 FM, and you were listening to Cinema Talk with Michelle Failer, Bruce Stout, and myself.